for listening to Weekly Wisdom, the podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Haddonfield, New Jersey. This episode is a sermon preached by Reverend Marvin Lindsay titled, If These Stones Could Talk. It's based on Joshua 24, in which Joshua calls the Israelite people together and urges them to make a commitment, make a decision about which gods they will serve. The sermon also includes an invitation to contemporary Christians to make a commitment to serving the Lord in their current congregation. We hope that you'll enjoy it. Magazine the other day, and yeah, actually, uh, Forbes magazine had articles about this kind of stuff, not just investing. But anyway, uh, the article said that people with commitment issues, uh, often those are rooted in dysfunctional attachments to our primary caregivers. So people who receive inconsistent or unpredictable love from their primary caregiver grow up to be prickly, anxious types who doubt their relationships will turn out well. I'm, I'm just reporting, okay? Uh, people with hostile or insensitive caregivers may grow up to be commitment foes because they don't want to get hurt again in an intimate relationship. Or people who grow up with caregivers who put them in no-win situations by holding them to impossibly high standards, they want to avoid those kinds of humiliations in the future, and so they are allergic to commitment. And to overcome these issues, the article recommends seeing a therapist. That's, that's always the answer, isn't it? See a therapist. Um, no, actually, it can sometimes be the answer. You know, it can sometimes. Maybe not always. At any rate, there are no therapists in the Old Testament scripture reading, but there is a commitment issue that's being addressed here. Who we find in the Old Testament scripture lesson is a storyteller and a warlord and a religious leader named Joshua. Not a therapist, a storyteller. And Joshua uses stories and, I think, a little bit of reverse psychology to get the Israelites to commit to an exclusive relationship with the Lord their God. So let's dive into the scripture passage in a little more detail and see what Joshua is up to. But first, let's set the scripture passage in its larger context. Uh, much has changed since we heard from Joshua last Sunday. Last week, we found Joshua and the Israelites on the far side of the Jordan River. The Lord parted the Jordan River, and the Israelites passed through on dry ground to enter the land of Canaan, the land that God had promised their ancestor Abraham to give to Abraham's descendants. And the intervening chapters in Joshua tell the story of the Israelites conquering of the land. By the time we get to Joshua 24, Canaan has become Israel. And Joshua has a lot of the land of Israel, some to each of the twelve tribes of Israel. The Israelites lived in peace and security. And Joshua, who is by now an old man, summons the Israelites for one farewell address to give them and tell them the old, old story of who they are, of where they come from, and whose they are. The story goes like this. Once upon a time, their ancestor Abraham was not a man of faith. Abraham worshipped the idols that everyone else worshipped in Mesopotamia. But for reasons known only to God, the Lord God took him and his wife and his relatives and led them to Canaan and gave Abraham and his wife Sarah an heir, a child, even though they were in their old age and had no children. 
Abraham's grandson Jacob and his family moved down to Egypt in search of food after a famine broke out in the land of Canaan. And there the children of Jacob became a numerous people. But the Egyptians turned on the uh, children of Jacob and enslaved them. So the Lord called Moses to lead the Israelite people to freedom. The Lord struck the Egyptians with plagues because of what they had done to the Israelites. The Lord parted the Red Sea waters to allow the Israelites to escape and then brought back those words on the Egyptian army when they were in hot pursuit of their runaway slaves. For a long time they wandered in the wilderness. And then, under Joshua's leadership, the Israelites crossed the Jordan River and they conquered the land of Canaan. But Joshua makes an important caveat when he tells this story. It was not Joshua's leadership or the Israelites' superior bravery or equipment or tactics and strategy that carried the day. The victory belonged to the Lord. It was God's doing. Now, if this story sounds familiar to you, it's because it's the story we've been pursuing in worship ever since June. We've heard all about Abraham's faith. We've heard about Jacob's deceiving his brother and being reconciled to him. We've heard about the courage of the midwives who defied the Pharaoh's genocidal plot and saved the Hebrew boys when they were born. We've heard about Moses, who was obedient to the Lord and taught the Israelite people how to obey the Lord. But really, this isn't a story about Abraham or the midwives or Moses or Joshua. It's a story about God. God is the main character of the story. It was God who called Abraham to leave his home. It was God who wrestled with Jacob before he could go on and reconcile with his brother. It was not some vague sense of humanitarian care that motivated the midwives to save the Hebrew babies. It was their awe of God that motivated them. Moses brought down those tablets on which were chiseled the Ten Commandments to give to the Israelite people, but it was the hand of God who inscribed those tablets. God is the one who takes the initiative in all of these stages of Israel's journey. God is the one who turns an elderly, childless, idolatrous couple into a prosperous and secure nation. Israel is, in short, what it is because of God's grace. You can think of it as a rags to riches story, and we Americans like rags to riches stories, but it's a different kind of rags to riches story than the one that we find in our culture. The other day I was listening to a professor being interviewed on the Hidden Brain podcast, and he was talking about how our society loves to tell stories of overcoming adversity but there's a particular spin to these stories. In our comic books, uh, which are for Americans what the Iliad and the Odyssey were for the ancient Greeks, our version goes like this. The superhero overcomes adversity by cultivating some kind of secret inner power or innate talent. So Peter Parker, for instance, he grows up a poor orphan, but then he's bitten by a radioactive spider and he becomes Spider-Man. And he learns to control this power, and he learns to do good, and to become a superhero. And in so doing, he uh, does these things to obey his uncle's maxim. With great power comes great responsibility. Superman has a similar story. In DC Comics, and in the Marvel Cinegraphic Universe, good, improbably, but inevitably triumphs over evil, because the hero or the heroine 
is gifted and courageous. In the story that Joshua tells, though, we're saved by God's grace. But everywhere else, in school, at the office, being entertained, whether it's TV or the internet or uh, online apps, spending time with friends, we are all hearing a different story. We're hearing that we can and have to save ourselves and the world by, in, in, by harvesting our innate talents and powers as though we were all running some kind of Manhattan Project on ourselves. What it means to commit to the Lord as our God is to learn to tell the story of our lives as though God, and not you and me, are the main characters in the story. So I want you to take a moment and practice. It's Anniversary Sunday, and often churches tell the story of their history by telling it in terms of, like, pastoral tenures, or they tell it in terms of the construction of buildings, or they tell their story in terms of the establishment of important and enduring ministries. Instead, I want you to take a moment in silence, about 30 seconds, and I want you to remember a time when God's grace unexpectedly touched this congregation. Or a time when God made a way for this church when there was no way. Or a time when God really came through and protected and provided the members for the members of this congregation. And if you are fairly new to this congregation, think about a time when God did that in your family, in your other faith community, or in your own life. Take about 30 seconds to think about that. Now you have a homework assignment. When you get that email that says RSVP for Consecration Sunday, email me back and tell me your story if you feel so inclined. Because I'd like to hear it. You know, I'm 14 months here into this congregation, so I don't know all the stories yet. But I want you to tell me them. Because I want to know how God's grace has been working in your lives. Now from telling that story, Joshua moves to the ask. He moves to the moment where he's getting the Israelites to commit. Serve the Lord, he says. Reflect on this now. Therefore, serve the Lord. But, if there's any hesitancy on your part, then choose. You can choose the Lord, or you can choose the gods of your ancestors, but you cannot add the Lord to your pre-existing stash of deeds. With this God, you've got to commit. And notice, that's all he says. It's a free will choice. He doesn't threaten them with hellfire and damnation. He doesn't do any arm twisting or any uh, appealing to a sense of guilt or fear. He just says, this is what God has done for you. Now you've got to make a choice. And he adds one thing. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You can do what you want to do. 
But we're going to serve the Lord. Well, the good news is the people are on board. Joshua's story really sinks in, and they say, to leave this God at the altar, after everything that this God has done for us, after all that we've been through, that would be unthinkable. But then something curious happens. Having gotten them to commit, having gotten them to say yes, Joshua says, no! (laughs) No, don't do this. You can't do this. You don't have it in you to make this commitment. You don't know what you're saying yes to. And then comes some warnings. Hell hath no fury like this God in heaven's form. Joshua warns them, if you step out of this God, remember that movie, uh, The First Wives Club? You're going to get that kind of treatment, okay? I'm just warning you. And I don't know if you're really up for that. But Israel is undeterred. No, no. We will serve the Lord. Three times they say it. We will serve the Lord. So, Joshua says, let's make it official. Bring some witnesses together, drop some paperwork, and Israel and the Lord pledge themselves to one another in an eternal covenant. Now, one of the witnesses is not the kind of witness you would expect at a ceremony where two parties are pledging themselves to each other in eternity. Uh, it's not like uh, the bridegroom's of a brother or a sister or a college roommate or one of those folks that often signs the marriage licenses when pastors perform weddings. The witness is a rock. <laughs> Joshua calls a rock to witness this covenant that the Lord and Israel are making with each other. And apparently it's a rock of some size. I guess they have to roll it. And they roll it up underneath a oak tree that apparently everybody knows it's that oak tree in Shechem. And Joshua says, this stone is watching you. When you walk back and forth, when you come and go from the town of Shechem, the stone's got its eyes on you. Okay? The stone's going to know if you're keeping your promises or not. Okay. How can an inanimate object without eyes or ears or a mouth keep track of Israel's comings and goings, wanderings and faithfulness, and bear witness to that? It's a figure of speech, of course. But it's not a mere figure of speech. Just think, for instance, this sanctuary has been here since 1906. The education building, I believe, was constructed in the 50s. And the congregation itself goes back even longer than that. It's the stones that our ancestors heaped up over a century ago, 70 years ago, to talk. What would they say? What would they say? Maybe if they'd been communicating with the stones in uh, Palestine and, you know, Scientists say that trees can talk to each other, so I don't know why in 50 years we won't find out the stones can't talk to each other. But if they are talking to that stone in Shechem, I think that what these stones would say to us today is remember one thing. You are who you are, and you are where you are by the grace of God. Never forget that you are where you are by the grace of God. First Presbyterian Church is a home for your heart, and for all hearts who are aligned with the heart of the living God. So if your heart this day is kind of blah, 
enthusiastic, wavering about a commitment to the Lord, then I invite you to do what Joshua invited Israel so many centuries ago to do. Serve the Lord. Make a commitment. Life has its ups and downs, but the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. The universe may be out to get you, but God is not out to get you. God is for you, to the extent that God gave up God's only Son, Jesus Christ, to save you. The Lord, our God, holds us accountable and gives us the grace to respond to God's claim and call on our lives with joyful obedience. God is your first and primary and loving and faithful caregiver. So I invite you to pledge your life, your time and your talents and your treasures to the God who has graciously saved you. In the name of the one who is and who was and who is to come. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please rate and review this podcast so that we can reach more people with the good news of Jesus Christ. To support our ministry, go to www.haddonfieldprez.org and click on the Give tab at the top of the page. Grace and peace be with you.